We're, we're talking about love, and, and last week we really kind of opened this up. We're going to be in the same passage, uh, Acts, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And, and so we've been trained by our culture um, what love is. And so we didn't know we were being trained, but we were. And so when we were growing up, uh, we were watching the same uh, love stories and, and same movies. Uh, and we were listening to the same love songs. We were reading the, you know, these books. And we also had friends that were buying into this concept of what love is. And, and so not intentionally. I mean, we can read. We, we can read the Bible. And, and many of us grew up in church. I know I did. But, but time and time again, I chose to follow or believe in uh, a cultural understanding of love instead of a godly understanding of what love is. And so, so we've, we've bought into this idea that, that love means simply you make me happy. <clears throat> and so love is something our culture teaches us that we can fall into and fall out of. And it's, you know, Cupid, you know, flying around in his little diaper, shooting arrows. And it's like, I'd, I didn't mean to fall in love with her. You know, I'm sorry I fell out of love with you, but Cupid, you know, bit me in the rear. And now I love her and vice versa. And so, you know, it's falling into, falling out of. And, and so when we're married, you know, we, we fall in love with somebody because they make us happy. And so if they're not making us happy, you know, if we're buying into a cultural understanding of love, then we can begin to say things like, well, I don't think she loves me anymore. She doesn't do all those things or, or vice versa. He doesn't love me anymore because he doesn't make me happy anymore. And if, if he or she is not making me happy, then, then I'm not probably making her happy. So maybe we fell out of love. That's a cultural understanding of what love is. Culture's view of love is very shallow. It's very hollow. It's very empty. It's impossible to fulfill. And it even looks down upon a godly or divine or biblical understanding of love. The Bible says that love and describes love as a choice. We choose to love someone. You chose to love your spouse and to marry him or her. You choose to love your kids. You choose to love certain friends. And and so it is a choice that we make. Uh, culture's understanding of love can also mean sometimes that I accept you. And so having a tolerant or I'm, you know, having an accepting uh, understanding or viewpoint of your lifestyle or of what you are doing in, is interpreted as love. And so, you know, when I don't accept a lifestyle or I don't accept you for what our culture would say who you really are, accept you for you then I'm not only not seen as a person of love, I'm seen as a person who is hateful or a person that is angry. And so, you know, when an NBA player comes out and says that he is gay this week, uh, he is embraced by the media as a hero. He's embraced by other uh, pop culture figures as, you know, a spokesman now and a great man, um, someone that we should all, you know, uh, he's a role model. Our president will actually take time out of his busy schedule to actually call this person and encourage them and say what a great job he's done. And he actually calls it progress. And so if th- this is culture's understanding of love. Now track with me. Stay with me. If I come along that same person and say, you know what, I don't accept that lifestyle. I don't, I don't agree with that lifestyle. Then that's not seen as a loving statement. That's seen as hate. That's seen as anger. And so our culture has a very warped 
view of what love is. Now, imagine this. My kids, they love animals, just like your kids. My kids are, <clears throat> just so for, for those of you who don't know me, we have four kids. Uh, my oldest is in fourth grade, and then it goes all the way down to four years old. And so three girls and a boy. And they love animals. Um, they love to go to the, to the zoo, so we take them to the zoo. Now just imagine my kids, Daddy, 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 please take us to the zoo. Can you please take us to the zoo? We love the zoo. We want to go to the zoo. We want to go to the zoo. Please take us to the zoo. And I say, because I'm a loving dad, all right, I'll take you to the zoo. And so we go to the zoo, and we go, and we start walking around. And you know what happens every time we go to the zoo? Can we get something to eat? So we go to the concession stand, and, and what do they want? They want a slushie. You know, they want one of those yummy sugar-filled slushies. Now, as a dad, I know that sugar at that level is probably not good for them. You know, there's all kinds of side effects. They're going to be, you know, fighting within five minutes. They're going to be running around like wild monkeys, and, you know, after they drink this sugar-filled drink. But as a loving dad, they're begging, Dad, please, please, please let us have the, the slushie. We want the slushie. All right, I'll get you the slushie. Now, what goes better with the slushie than popcorn? Yeah, somebody said it. Now i got to have popcorn, you know, to go along with this. And so, Daddy, please, 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 let us have popcorn. It goes so well with this slushie. And please, please, please. And I say as a loving dad, all right, I'll buy some popcorn. And so now popcorn in one hand, slushie in the other. We're looking at animals, finally. (laughs) And so we're walking around, and we come to the lion's den. You know, they've got some pretty cool lions over there at the zoo. And we get to that lion's den. And my kids love lions. They're they're, they're just kind of enamored with lions. Um, and they see these lions, and we have a cat, and we have a dog, and they think, well, this is a cuddly little, cuddly little furry animal. Daddy, 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 please let us go inside the animal cage here, and let's play with the lions. Please, please let us play with the lions. Now, as a loving father, if I were to say, well, put your slushies here, and, you know, we don't want to spill those, and so go on in and play with the lions. Now, obviously... I mean, that's ridiculous. I'd be thrown in jail. You'd all fire me, and I'd be the worst parent of all time. Why? Because that's putting them in an obviously dangerous situation. Now, <clears throat> think about this. Now, if, 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 I love them, but I'm not going to put them in harm's way, right? And so the most loving thing I could do is to protect them from the lion's den, no matter how much they beg me, no matter how much they, you know, cry and whine, no matter how much they try to convince me that I'm a horrible father if I don't let them into the cage, I know as a wise, you know, dad, at least I know this much, not to let them go into the lion's den, okay? Now listen, what a cultural love, uh, you know, begins to teach us, and if we're not careful, obviously that logically nobody would disagree with the whole lion thing, but what culture is doing with love today is that now it is, it is okay for a 15-year-old girl to go and to buy the morning after pill without a prescription and without uh, a parental consent. And she's allowed to do this now. Why? Because government officials, they view that as a loving act of kindness. We feel like they need some tools. We want to show love. We think this is the right thing. And so we're going to make this available. In other words, parents... You don't really know what love is. You don't know how to love your kids. So, so as, a, as officials and leaders, we're going to give your kids the tools to make their own decisions about their sexuality and what happens, you know, oh, after sex and, and all these issues. We're just going to make some decisions for you. Now, that's a very warped view of love, is it not? 
And so here is the problem. The problem is we're enamored with this idea of love from culture and we walk into our relationship with God with this idea and concept of love. And so the, the, the problem is when we begin to follow God or relate to God with these same concepts, no matter how much we disagree with some of this that I've mentioned this morning, and I, I would gather that the majority of us are probably tracking with where I'm at today, the problem is we're so enamored with cultural's view of love that we're constantly finding this tendency to follow it ourselves and to believe in it ourselves and to think through it ourselves. And it takes effort to really begin to push that idea and concept aside and really understand what they, the concept of, of, of a godly love is. You see, when we begin to label God's love like, like culture culture is beginning to label uh, God's love, then, then we walk into this relationship and if I'm not doing you know, enough for God, then he's not going to love me. Or we walk into the church and we think, you know what, because of what I've done, God, there's no way that you could love me for who I am. There's no way that you could know what I've done, what I've gone through, what I've experienced, and still love me. And so we bring this idea that I'm not worthy into the relationship with God or into this environment that we're in this morning with this concept that God can't love us. Why? Because we've bought into a cultural view that we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, and put on this persona a certain way for people to accept us, for people to love us. And it's just not a biblical understanding of love. And here's the tension. As we... Uh, as a result of, of this understanding in our relationship with God, we feel separated from Him. We feel separated because we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we keep making mistakes, God. We're, we, we don't measure up, God. And I'm experiencing this with my husband because I'm not measuring up with him. And, and I'm not measuring up to my wife because I keep letting her down. And, and every time I let her down, then it seems like there's, we're separated emotionally a little, a little bit more and a little bit more. And the same happens at work. And so God, obviously, that's what's happening in my relationship with you too. Because I keep messing up and I keep failing. And so we begin to live our life as a Christian trying to earn God's love. And if I can just act a certain way, then I'll keep God's love. And, I'm, and if I just do enough spiritually to earn it, then I will earn God's love or I'll have God's love. Or maybe I had God's love, but because of what I've done, what I've experienced, then, then, then I've probably lost his love. Because who could love me? Who could accept what I have done? I've committed some horrible sins. I've done some really bad things. And, and there's no way that, that, that God could love me any longer you see this is this is different though from god's love god's love is completely different this entire passage is talking about our salvation and how his love for us in salvation is that he he calls us that means that that he is calling us to him that means it is a is a god thing it's not a trent thing that says you know what i think i'll like get saved today and i think i'll just you know save and and just walk holy from now on it's 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 a, it's a calling from god it is initiated from God. The Bible says that he predestines us. In other words, he chooses us. He says, yes, I want you. The Bible says those he, he, just, those he predestines, he justifies. And so it's, a, it's, an, it's an act in the, in the court of law. He declares me not guilty. He justifies me. And then it says he glorifies me. He's glorifying me now as I become more and more like him. And ultimately one day in heaven, it will be a complete restoration of me. And listen, nothing can take away that love. From a true believer, nothing, no, there's no sin, 
There's no attitude that you can have. There's no behavior that takes that love away. When God adopts you, he chooses you. When you're in the family of God, you are in. Once you are born again, you don't get unborn. God's love is always there. We looked at last week and we said his love is constant. In other words, God is for us. Nothing can successfully take away that love. Nothing can take away that love in salvation. It is constant. It is always with, it, with us. Nothing can shake that. Nothing can rock that. Secondly, his love is generous. If God loves us enough to send Jesus to die for us, how much more is he willing to take care of all of our needs? He's not a stingy God saying, well, I'm going to give you a little bit here, but I'm going to hold back the rest of my love. And, but, no, he is a generous God. He wants you to experience more of his love and more fulfillment in this life. And then lastly, we saw that his love is secure. And the Bible gives us this idea of this trial. And who, who's on trial? Me and you. And who's the judge? God. And who's the accuser? Satan himself. And he is accusing us of all the wrong that we have done, that we are doing today, and that we're going to do tomorrow. And he, he just constantly accuses us before God. But, but God says, but, but Jesus is the one who justifies. In other words, Trent isn't the one that justified. Trent isn't the one that earned that. Trent isn't the one that made that okay. Jesus is the one that justified because he said it, because he did it. It's a done deal. It doesn't matter what Satan brings against us. His love is secure. Let's look now again, and let's just, let's just start from the beginning here. Verse 31, we'll go through verse 39. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him, that's the generous part, up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's the generous part again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, his love is is not only generous, but his love is secure. No one can bring a charge against you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is praying for you even right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question. And then he goes on. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What separates us from the love of God? Nothing. The only thing that is separating you from God's love this morning is the fact that some of you maybe have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have never done that, you've never experienced the love that we're talking about this morning. If you have done that, then you have that love. Then you've experienced that love. And after we speak today and after we share from God's word, my hope is that you'll be encouraged to aspire to understand and and cling to that love even more further. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to share with you this morning about God's love is that his love is present. Look again at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes into to all of these ways. Okay, here are some things that you might think will separate you. And he says, first of all, he says tribulation. He says tribulation, maybe, maybe distress. The, the Greek words here just mean a stressful situation, a tough situation. 
So in other words, when you're going through a difficult time in life, is, is sometimes if we have a cultural view of God's love, we think immediately, well, God is, doesn't love me. Look at what he is allowing to come into my, house, my, my life. God doesn't love me. Look at my health. My health is deteriorating. I don't have everything that I need. You know, I'm not really happy right now. Does God really love me? Does God really care? All these stressful situations in our life, maybe we're thinking God isn't there. He's not loving us. But here's what he says. There's no tribulation. There is no stressful situation in life that separates you from the love of God. Sometimes we think we go through a tough time. God's judging me. God's judging me. I did something wrong. I didn't go to church enough. Or I, didn't, you know, I didn't do this enough. I'm not doing this. I, I did this, and I told him I wasn't going to, and then I did again. And so now all this trouble's happening. Now, obviously, you know, God's judging me. And, and so we kind of get warped into thinking all these, these, these negative thoughts. And he says, look, look, nothing is separating you from the love of God. The only thing that might be separating you in that situation is that you're disobeying him. And if we're disobeying God, then naturally we're going to feel separated. But has that love from God diminished or decreased? No, it's just you walking away from him. So obviously that distance and that separation is going to cause you to feel that way. Now think of it like this. Um, Sean in my small group reminded me, he had this experience with, um, I think his oldest son, that he, he dedicated this morning. And it reminded me of a story of my son Bryson when he was, I think he was two and a half, three years old. And, and, and here's the idea. Bryson was sick. We take him to, to the doctor and they have to take his blood and they have to give him a shot. And so naturally a two and a half, three year old, that's like, you know, that's hell, right? I mean, there's nothing gets worse than being in a doctor's office with needles and testing and people you don't know that are trying to, you know, hurt you with sharp things. And so some of you are still frightened by shots. You know, how many of you are afraid of shots? Okay, pray for them. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Bryson is there. He's got to get this work done. And of course, he's fighting the nurses. He's like, don't touch me. Get off of me. That's going to hurt. That's a scary object. No. And so what they ask us to do is to hold him down. You ever done that to your, to your little child? I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. And so we're holding him down. And of course, what's his reaction? His reaction is, oh, my Lord, my parents have lost their mind. <laughs> you know, somebody call 911, you know, call Jesus, call the Holy Spirit, call somebody, call Nana, help me. Mom and dad have lost it, right? They're holding me down and, and that lady is bringing sharp objects and it hurts, okay? So that's what's going on in his little brain at that time. And, and so for, for us, it's killing us. You know, as a parent, it kills us us when we have to do that. And so he's looking, his big brown eyes, look, he's got his mom's eyes, looking right into my eyes, and he's saying, please, daddy, please, no, why, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. And you're just like, you're, you're crushed, you're crushed. But what's my response? I know, Bryson, I know it hurts, but it's for your own good. It's for your own good. Now, we can relate to that as parents, we can relate to that story. It's for your own good. So just hang with this pain a little bit, a little bit longer, and this is going to make you better. I've got a different perspective. I've got a different view of what's happening here, and I know it hurts, but, but this is my love. This, this is love being expressed to my son that I would hold him down so that sharp objects could pierce his skin, but ultimately it's for his good. Now listen, the love of God is this. 
just like a love of a father to his son. Some of you are going through a tough time, a tribulation. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. You're going through some stuff, and it's just stressful, and it's just not peaceful at home. It's just struggle, and there's tension, and there's just stuff going on, and, and you're tempted to like check out from church because the church thing's not working. You're tempted to check out from small group. You're tempted to check out from serving. You're, and here's the reason. Ultimately, because you don't think God is, is, is working for you. Or, or, or God's love really isn't coming through for you like you think that he should. Because maybe your idea of God's love is that he makes everything perfect. And when you're in the center of God's will, everything is just beautiful and blissful and, and there's no problems. And listen, you read the Bible, you see over and over again men and women who go through some very difficult times in life. And the reason is because our Heavenly Father is looking at this life in, 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 through His lens, through His perspective. And He says, Trent, I know this stinks. I know it's painful. I know you don't understand. But it's for your own good. Now, what do we do in that situation? What do we do? And, and, and how, do we, how do we understand that and, and, and work that into our mind? Well, we come to God's love and we say, look, I know that your love is present, God. I know that this is a tough situation. I know it may not look like you're loving me right now, but I trust you that you are with me. Your word says that you are always with me. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know that your love is real and it is here and I don't understand, but your love is present in this situation because there is no tribulation, there is no distress that can keep us from the love of God. It may not look like God's love, but it is. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, in this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says next, he, he, he mentions tribulations here, and then he goes on to say, distress and he goes on to say persecution so when you're persecuted for your faith when you're persecuted by people at work because of maybe your lifestyle and how you love God or you're persecuted for the way that you know you and your spouse love each other and and and, and that persecution comes he says when you experience that you are still in my love famine or nakedness so when our physical needs aren't being met when our physical needs just seem to, 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 to not be fulfilled by God, he says, even in those situations, my love is present. He goes on to say, not only in distress and persecution and famine, nakedness, and, and then he says, in danger or sword. So when our very lives are at stake, it's, it's like God, it, it, it doesn't really quite register with us that this can be God's love. But listen, the wisdom of God, the love of God, is that he doesn't promise us that he's going to allow us to escape these things. The wisdom of love, the wisdom of God, and the love of God is that he allows us to triumph over these things. So even in, in death, it is God's love. Why? Because in death, we are united with God. Even in distress and trouble, we can, we can be united with God. It may not look like God's love, but Paul says it is God's love. Why? Because his love is present. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, that love is very real. So if you're in this situation, you don't quite understand what God is doing, and, and, and you don't know, you, you're kind of wrestling with God, are you loving me? God, I don't get you, and I don't get all this stuff. Just trust 
him. His love is present. Secondly, his love is strong. Let's keep looking. Verse 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life. So, so here's, here's the thing. His love is strong. His love is powerful. And it is not overcome by anything. And so here are the illustrations that he gives us. He says, first of all, death. Death does not separate us from the love of God. Because as a believer, we die. Guess what? We're united with him. So even though it, it, you know, when we leave family members, when we see a family member pass away, when we experience that, it is painful for us. It is painful to, to experience that. But listen, the love of God is very real, even in death of a believer. The Bible calls death simply falling asleep. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God is more powerful than even death. Secondly, he says life. Should death or, or, or life. So in life, and, and listen, the stuff of life. So your choices, your circumstances, your relationships, your thoughts, your actions, all these things play a huge role in your development, in your relationship with God. But listen, in that relationship, there is no way you can lose God's love. Now, obviously, in my choices and circumstances and things that I do, I can, I can feel that separation because maybe I'm, I'm rebelling against God or, or I'm not surrendering something to God in that situation. But when Christ saves us, there is no way that even in our circumstances that, that God's love is taken away from us. You, once we are born again, we cannot be unborn. Once we are adopted, we can't be unadopted into the family of God. And then he says... Angels, nor angels, nor rulers. So the idea here are are any angelic beings, maybe even demonic beings. So yes, angels, demonic forces have, have power over this earthly realm in some regards. But as a believer, we understand that they have no power over us. And, and even God himself, as the creator of these beings, he says, not even them. I'm more powerful than them. They can't separate you from the love of God. He goes on to say, nor present, nor things to come. Nor things present, nor things to come. In other words, he's talking about um, anything that relates to the passage of time. So God is not bound by time. Eternity is eternity. Eternity has no clock. You know, you're not taking your, 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 you know, your watch to heaven. It's like, oh, I guess it's time for breakfast. There is no time. God is not bound by time. And so there's no amount of time that can allow you to lose God's love or not experience God's love. No matter where we are at and how young we are or how old we are, God's love is not bound by time. The next thing it says is powers. So, nor, nor powers. And so what's powerful in, in life today? Well, in, in a worldly sense, the powers of this world have to do with material possessions. So money, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're powerful if you're in a certain position um, or maybe even physical strength. And so he says, I've created even those things. Money, material things have no power uh, you know, outside of this earthly realm in heaven. They mean nothing. He says, I am even more powerful than that. So that can't separate us from God's love. And then finally he says height or depth. So kind of like time, height and depth relates to distance. 
And so there's no distance in our life that, that we can travel far from God's love. There's no area of the world that we can run from God or, or be away from God's love. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He is everywhere present. Omnipresent is what we call it. And so there is nowhere that we can go to be removed from God's love. Absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. That's the hope. That's the power. He loves you on your good days. He loves you on your bad days. He loves you when you're obedient. He loves you when you're disobedient. He loves you when you're faithful. And he loves you when you are unfaithful. Why? Because nothing can separate you from this unconditional love. This, folks, is the love of God. It is unconditional. Culture says it's conditional. Make me happy and I'll love you. Culture says accept me and then you'll make me happy, then I'll love you. God says it is an unconditional love. This is amazing news. This is glorious news that that God loves us and that he is for us. And, And some of us, here's what some of us are doing in this room. You are fighting against the very one who loves you more than anyone else in existence. You're fighting against his will in your life. You're fighting and you're not surrendering a relationship to him you're not surrendering your life to him because you, you don't trust God's love. It's like, ah, if I, if I follow God, if I trust God, then maybe all this stuff won't work out the way that I think it's going to work out. And, and it's like, you know what, the more you separate yourself from God, the more of his love you're not going to experience. Some of you are running from the very one that loves you the most. Now, some people think, you know, I can be saved and then I can break that fellowship with my disobedience or, or with, you know, a certain action and that fellowship is, is broken with God and then I have to get saved again or then I have to, you know, reestablish that relationship. And, 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 and listen, this is that warped cultural view of love that kind of creeps into a theology in a church setting. So here's the deal. Think of it like this. Again, using my kids this morning a lot, I've got four children. I love them to death. Now, they are my kids. Now, they're going to grow up and they're going to do, do things that disappoint me. They might live a, a, a certain lifestyle that I disapprove of. But listen to me. They are always my children. I mean, your kids, no matter what they do, they're always your children. They can't not be your children. It's not like, Dad, you know, I'm divorcing you. I don't care, but, you know, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. You can, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter what happens, no matter what they do with their life, they are always going to be my children. In the same way, no matter what you do as a believer, you can, if you have truly accepted Christ into your life, You are in the family of God. You can't not be in the family of God. Now when we see this, and I explained a little bit last week, but when you see someone who looks and acts like a Christian, and then years later they are not in church and they have walked away, and and some would say they have walked away from God, they were saved but not they're saved. The Bible explains that situation as someone who never really got it. They never really were one of us. Because the Bible teaches that once we have committed our heart and we've been born again, adopted into the family of God, nothing separates us from his love. Now listen, when we accept and love this God, when we follow this God, we are on a different level of love-wise. Because there's nothing you can say or do to earn it and there's nothing you can say or do that's going to decrease that love. That to me is one of the hardest concepts in the Bible to grasp. 
I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Because I feel like on my good days, I feel like, man, God, I get you, man. And I know you're getting me. And we're just like, we're just together. We're tracking. And then, then there'll be a couple of weeks where, where, where I'm, you know, I'm dealing with sin. I'm struggling. I'm going through some things. And then I'm thinking, you know what? God, just, I just I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, I'm worthless. I can't, can't do anything right. And I feel like, you know what, I've got to confess again. I've got to get my act together again. I've got to, you know, dress up and get my, my face back on and, and get my step back in gear so, so God will love me again or so that I'll be blessed again. And, and this wrong view of God's love, I think is frustrating a lot of people. And if we could just buy into the fact and trust the fact that his love is real and unconditional and true, and there's nothing you can do to, to get rid of that love or hinder that love. It's not based on what you do. I think it would revolutionize your relationship and walk with God. Now, the Bible calls us more than conquerors. Why? Because no matter what tribulation, no matter what stress, no matter what difficulty we go through, he says we're more than conquerors. We can overcome all those situations. We overcome all of that, not in our own love, not in our own power, but through God's power. This, this is, this is mind-blowing if you think about it. That God hasn't separated from us through this, these situations. In fact, as a believer, there's nothing that separates us. But maybe, just maybe the reason we feel separated today is because we've led a tribulation. We've led a stressful time. We've led a broken relationship. We've let danger separate us from God because we're running from Him. And so for you, you ask yourself this question, am I running from God? Because I don't feel like God loves me, but is it, is it's not God that's left, it's you. Have you run from this God? And some of us have to kind of grasp this and fall into this understanding that, that nothing separates us from God. And, 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 and when we can overcome this mentality, then we can begin to accept His love. Now, now, some of us think, if I can just get my act cleaned up, then I'll start going to church. You ever heard that? I've heard that hundreds of times. If I can just get this stuff put together, then I'll follow God. Then I'll trust God. Then I'll get involved in church. But listen, God is, is loving even in our mess. In the messiness of life, God loves you. There's not a a messy life in this room that God is like, you know what, too messy, can't love. Don't don't love that person, too messy. God loves us in our mess because his love doesn't change. And for some of us, that's the biggest takeaway, I think, this morning, that God loves us in our mess. Life is filled with mistakes, but God still loves us in those mistakes. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to continue to mess up and continue to make those mistakes, but he loves us in those mistakes. Now listen, I don't know what age your kids are. I think everybody kind of has like favorite ages, you know, and I don't know if anybody would say a teenager is their favorite age, Um, but I know this, four-year-old I love four-year-old. I love that age. I've loved that age, you know, in every one of my kids. And, and my youngest is now four, so it's like, stop growing. Just be four forever, you know? And, and so, um, but you know what? Even things in my daughter, Blakely, as a four-year-old, there are things in her life that I wish she was a little bit further along, you know? I mean, I love four, and I love her to death. But there are some, you know, some things I wish she would just kind of get her act together on. For instance, when she eats a cookie, it's not just like pick it up and take a bite of it. It's like the cookie explodes. 
It's like she picks at it, and I don't know what she does, but I need to video it, and we can analyze it. Because I walk away, Cookie is sitting there, I walk away and come back and Cookie is everywhere. It's broken apart, it's all over the table. You know, it could be chocolate in her hair, it could be chocolate in anywhere. And it's like, what just happened? I, I wish she wasn't quite so messy when she, you know, ate a cookie. I, I wish she would get, like, her clothes put back in her drawer. And, like, she could pick up her toys without me, you know, like, constantly reminding and helping her do that. I wish she could just do that, you know. I wish she was a little bit further along with the whole toy thing. But you, but our house can be spotless, clean. You know, Blakely gets in the room, and like every, you know, she's changed clothes ten times. Every toy she owns is out, and it's like, how did you do that so stinking fast? It was like it was clean a minute ago, and now it's like destroyed. I wish she was a little bit further along there. I wish she was a little bit further along uh, when she doesn't get her way. You know, when she doesn't get her way, sometimes there's some crying, and sometimes there's some fits that, that take place, and, you know, it's inconvenient for me, and I don't, I don't really enjoy the whole fit thing. I know you don't either, and so I wish she was a little bit further along on that journey, but let me just tell you something, and I know you get this. I love her despite her messiness. I love her despite any fit that she would throw. There is not for one second of my life that anything that she does would decrease my love for her in any form. I love that little girl so much, it makes my heart hurt. There's nothing that's going to cause me to not love that little girl. Despite her messiness, despite her mistakes, I love each and every one of my kids with all of my heart. And folks, when we can begin to understand God's love in that fashion... We can reject the love that we see in culture as unbiblical and see God's, this amazing love that runs to you in your mess, that runs to you despite the messiness of your decision and all the different things that you did last week and last night. And he runs to us and he embraces us and he says, I love you. And folks, if you would just stop fighting this God that loves you and start accepting him and start following him, then you would begin to see that life truly does make sense and there is peace and there is hope and there is joy and that his love is true and it does reign forever and it endures all situations and it blows your mind. And as you confess and as you love and as you embrace this love, oh my goodness, It's the most amazing relationship that we could ever experience. In all of life's tribulations, danger, sword, toil, anything that life throws at us, we're like, you know what, I don't understand it, but I know it's for my good. And God's going to somehow miraculously use it for my good. Why? Because I trust that He loves me. So here's the takeaway. First of all, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, that's, if you don't hear anything else the last two weeks, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not the sin that you committed when you were in college, not the sin you committed last night, not the lifestyle that you've been living for the last 20 years. Nothing separates you from the love of God. There is nothing that God cannot forgive. There is nothing that God will not overcome in your life because you are more than a conqueror but here's the deal here's the takeaway some of you simply need to turn to him that's the challenge 
That's what you walk away with. There's an area of your life that you've been rejecting God's love, and it's time for you to turn to Him. Maybe it's in that marriage relationship that it's time for you to turn to Him. Maybe it's in the area of your finances that you've been saying, no, God, I kind of understand this better than you. And no, God, I'm just going to kind of, you know, fight my way out of this and just kind of cling to this. And I've got to pay all this off before I can honor you. And I, God, I've got this whole thing, you know, covered. Maybe it's time for you to turn to him. Maybe it's a lifestyle of disobedience that you have been living and you do feel separated from God because you've been running from God and you've been, you've been believing in a cultural understanding of love. You've been following culture and buying into all that. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that love is shallow, empty. It cannot ever produce happiness. And it will never lead to a satisfied or joy-filled life. Only the love of Christ leads us in that area. And it's time for you to turn to Him. Turn your life and your eyes to Him. Would you bow with me? Band is going to close us in a song today that helps us to focus on his love. And I want to encourage you that at any moment during this song, if you want to stand up and sing or just sit and sing because you know this song, I want to encourage you to respond in this way. If you just want to come forward and just pray on these steps or at this altar at the front of this stage just to spend some time with God, I encourage you to do that as well. There's some things that you want to confess to a spouse. I pray that you would do that in this moment. If you would like to pray with someone, just go to them and ask them, hey, will you pray with me and will you join me in prayer right now? Maybe as we talk, you, you, you are realizing that you have never accepted the love of God in your life. In other words, you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never given him your heart. You've never given him your life. And today, you're ready to do that. We have some counselors that are going to be standing to the door on my right. They'd love to walk you through that decision, counsel you, pray with you, help you in any way. At any time during this song, the closing of this service, we're here to help you and encourage you in this decision. There's nothing that separates you from the love of God. Why fight Him? Why resist Him? Why run from him? This God is pursuing you with a relentless love. A love that is so real and true. A spouse's love doesn't even compare. A father's love doesn't even compare. Nothing separates you from this love. Some of you are disobeying this love. It's time to turn back to him. Lord Jesus, I pray for those broken hearts in this room that you would restore relationships, Lord, that you would guide and grow and mature. Lord, I pray for those broken marriages, those broken uh, friendships. Lord, those broken relationships between a son and a father, between a daughter and a mom. Lord, restore through your redeeming love those relationships. Begin a good work in us today that will literally transform our life in the days ahead. We love you, and we want to trust in your love today. In Jesus' name, amen.